River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We're, we are in a series that we started just right after the first of the year called Restore. And it's because there is this conviction come, that flows out of the word of God that God wants his people to know that he is in the restoration business. And God's plan is to restore all of fallen creation. Now, one of the things that we can do is we can look to God's word to see how that plan is being played out. But the clear teachings of the scripture are simply this. God has already begun that restorative work. One day, the the restoration is going to be paid in full when Jesus returns. Um, But right now, that restoration has begun. And it pretty much began after the fall, when everything fell apart, when all of creation got cracked and broken, uh, what we know in Genesis chapter 3 as the fall. Uh, Before that time, God had created, you can read about this in the first three chapters, God had created the heavens and earth, everything. He created human beings, and the Bible tells us he planted them in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And it was was beautiful, it was incredible, and they had an intimate, loving relationship with God. They knew his voice. They, they loved the authoritative voice that God had given them, the, you know, the, the, the command to go forth and multiply, to, to, to rule over and reign over the earth, uh, to have dominion. And um, God had given them one prohibitive commandment, and it said, just don't eat of that tree. And as we know, they ate of the tree. Before that, their relationship had been so intimate that they could listen and hear God walking and knew it was God. I I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I could tell what kind of mood my dad was in by the way he walked down the hall. I, I, I knew my father that intimately, especially when he was heading for my room. Um... I could tell. I I knew my dad like that. They knew their heavenly father so intimately that when he walked in a garden, they knew the sound of his cadence, his footsteps. That is intimate. When you know somebody like that, that is intimate knowledge. They knew God. And so if they knew his footsteps, surely they knew his voice. The voice of God that had loved them so deeply. And yet the voice of God that they had just recently forsaken to choose their own way. And that voice was lost to them. And they were put out of the garden to basically experience an existence where they were cut off from the authoritative, loving voice of God. Now why is that so important? Some of you that are familiar with a tool that we use around here, it's kind of one of our life shapes that we use to communicate biblical truths. One of them is the the Covenant and Kingdom Diamond. And the Covenant and Kingdom Diamond points out, just through a drawing, that our authority and our identity, knowing who we really are in Christ, are tied deeply together. And when the authority of God gets lost in our lives, one of the first things that gets swept away is our true identity, knowing who we are in Christ. And so it is so incredibly important that we understand and we be captured and we long for the authoritative, loving voice of God flowing through our lives. Adam and Eve had experienced that, but now they're cut off from that. And they're, they're forced to now live by their own choice and existence of kind of purposelessness. Basically just crudely surviving. But God would not allow humanity to always and forever live like that. Because of his great love, God would work to restore what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now again, I love that God gave us both the beginning and the end of the book that hadn't been finished yet. But he has written the end of the book and so we can go over to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. And there we can see the end of the story. And very fascinating to me is what began in a garden ends in a garden. Listen to this description in Revelation chapter 22. The apostle John is being shown this by an angel. He said, the angel showed me a river 
with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. Doesn't that sound like a garden? Fresh fruit, fresh crop each month. It goes on to say the leaves were used for the medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. Face to face. Experience the loving, authoritative communion with God. Unfiltered. Perfect in every way. See, when we're there, you and I... We'll finally get to the place where we recognize when our father walks through the garden. You'll actually know him so intimately. You'll know his footsteps. You won't ever be cut off from his loving, authoritative voice again. But we live in that in-between time. And until that vision becomes our reality, we got to deal with the here and now. But we have to understand that God has chosen for anyone who would trust Jesus. Anyone who would do like Heather and Preston did and say, I want to follow him. I want to devote my life to him. God's promise is that he will begin to restore that authoritative loving voice in your life now. And you no longer have to be cut off, cut out from who you are in Christ. See, when, when Adam and Eve sinned from God, it closed them off from that. But God, through Jesus Christ, has and is restoring that. Let, let me see if I can share through uh, an illustration how vital, how all, uh, just incredibly important it is for you and me to, to come into the fullness of our true identity. Cherry Watkins shared this story with me this past week, and I want to share it with you because it, I think it vividly illustrates this. It's a story about a seminary professor. And he and his wife had, had gone to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on, on a vacation. And uh, they had ended up in this little mom and pop's kind of breakfast uh, diner. And uh, they were in there eating. And they began noticing this kind of stately gentleman, gray-haired, who was kind of walking around from table to table just talking to everybody. And the seminary professor kind of leans over to his wife and says, Dear God, please don't let him come over here. You ever been in a situation like that? Maybe uttered that little prayer? Um, he, he just says, dear, you know, dear God, don't let him come over here. But of course, guess what happens? Of course he goes over there and he says, hi. Uh, he gives his name and he says, um, great to have you in Tennessee. Where are you from? And they say, we're from Oklahoma. And he says, well, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I, I teach at the seminary. He, he replied, you're, you're, you're a, a teacher of preachers then. He said, man, have I got a great preacher story for you. And he pulls out a seat and just sits himself down, kind of uninvited. And, you know, the seminary, seminary professor's wife seems rolls his eyes, you know. And, you know, she knows what he's thinking. Great, another preacher story. Anyway, he, the man starts his story by saying, hey, look out the window over there. You see that mountain? He said, at the base of that mountain, there was a little boy who years ago was born to an unwed mother. And he had a hard time growing up because everywhere he went, about the only question he felt like he ever heard was, who, who's your dad? Who, who, who is your father? And it created such a, a pain in this young man's life that he just started avoiding people. You know, if he went to the grocery store, he'd try to get out quick. When, when he was in school, you know, he would try to avoid anybody that he thought might, might ask that question. When he was 12 years old, a new preacher came to, to town, to his church, and the little boy had developed this habit where he would, he would go in late, kind of slip in the back, and then he would try to sneak out early. He kind of knew the timing of everything. But this new preacher let them out so quickly one day, and that's not going to happen today, just so you know. Uh, let them out so quickly one day, the little boy was caught off guard, and uh, he ended up being kind of trapped. And the preacher got to the door before him, and when the little boy got there, he said, hi, my name is so-and-so, and he said, what's yours? And he said, I don't believe I met your parents. Who, who's, who's your dad? And all the kind of background fellowship talk that goes on in a church quit. It just became silent. And the preacher recognized the shock and horror in the little boy's face. And the Holy Spirit gave him discernment of what was going on. And so he looked at the little boy and he just patted him on the shoulder and said, Oh, I recognize you now. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. 
the little boy smiled for the first time in a long time and he walked out the door and he was never the same again. He was changed in that moment instantly. And from that point on, whenever anybody would ask him, who's, who's your dad? He would just glowingly declare, I'm a child of God. The distinguished gentleman got up from the table and pushed his chair in and said, man, isn't that a great story? And the seminary professor said, dude, that is a great, that's a great story. And so he just walks on off. But as he's walking away, the man turns around and says, you know, if that new preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I would have probably never amounted to anything. And then he turned and walked away. Well, the seminary professor and his wife just go, you know, they just, their jaw drops. They were stunned. And so he calls their waitress over and he says, do you have any idea who that man was that, you know, that just left? And she got a grin and said, yeah, everybody around here, you know, knows Governor Hooper. That was former governor of Tennessee. See, folks, the truth is, knowing that you're a child of God... And knowing all that comes with that is of ultimate importance in this life. If you're to experience the loving, authoritative voice of God restoring in you. If not, you could be just like Ben Hooper described what his life might have been like had he not discovered that. A life that just may not have felt like it amounts to anything. So in the time that we have remaining, I want us to walk through what I believe are just four very practical habits. Some of you are going to, I get to the end of this, say, Joe, I knew all of that. And you do. Many of you. But we need to connect regularly, reconnect, recharge on these if we want the loving, authoritative voice of God to grow in our lives. And these four habits come straight from the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 8 because we were so cut off from God's loving voice. God wanted us to hear him clearly. So he sent his only beloved son, Jesus. One, to pay the great penalty for our sin that we could not pay. But two, to teach us what God is like. And how we can experience a restored relationship and be connected to his loving, authoritative voice in our lives once again. And so Jesus tells uh, in Luke chapter 8, we're going to focus on verses 5 through 15. In, in those verses, Jesus, he, he first tells a, a parable in verses 5 through 7. And then in verse 8, Jesus makes kind of a concluding kingdom remark. And then verses 9 through 15, when he's alone with his disciples, he explains the meaning of the parable to them. And I want to start uh, today with us looking at that kind of kingdom concluding remark that Jesus makes in verse 8. And he says this in Luke 8, 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you have ears to hear? Such a vital part of us experiencing the restoration of the loving, authoritative voice of God in our lives hinges right here. You and I have got to put these ears on. We've got to live intentionally tuned in to God if we want to experience the voice of God. And so Jesus tells this story, this parable, and in that story there are four kinds of, I believe, attitudes. I don't believe that these are just four different kinds of people. I think it can illustrate that, but I also believe these are four kinds of attitudes that even Christ followers phase in and out of. I think all of us phase in and out of these four attitudes that Jesus is going to address here. And if we don't get these right, if we stay stuck in one of those attitudes, it will keep us cut off the, the, all the days of our lives even until we pass from this life. It'll keep us cut off from that loving, authoritative voice of God. And that's why this is so important. So I want us to think uh, about this for a few minutes. Now, Jesus describes this this parable and he tells a story about a farmer that goes out to plant his field. He's going out to plant this day and in that day they used what's known as the broadcasting method. They literally would go till the, a field and then they would just walk out in the field and they would just scatter seed. They'd broadcast it. And of course, you know, just common sense would tell you some of the seed is going to fall in really, really good places. Some of it, especially around the edge of the field, probably not so good places. And so Jesus points out, looking at a field like that, four different kind of soils, 
of our minds. Four different attitudes, if you would, that I think flow through us and vary at different levels from time to time. Sometimes you and I are so very, very open to the loving, authoritative word of God and sometimes we are just very closed. So how do we live that way constantly? How do we fully experience that restorative work? Well, the first thing that I want you to see that Jesus says is this. To restore God's voice in my life, I've got to learn to cultivate my own mind. I've got to cultivate my mind. I've got to want to hear. I've got to be eager, be receptive, be willing to hear God. And when I look around the room, I know many, many of you, most of you, in fact. And so I, I believe I'm safe to say that most of the people in this building right now are believers, Christ followers. But there are a few folks that I don't recognize. And you may be here today and you may be a seeker. You may be someone who is just here today kind of checking out the truth claims of Jesus. Who is this Jesus guy and what's he say? What, he, what did he do? Why is that important? Why should I know it? You're a seeker. And we want you to know you're welcome here. We are glad that you chose to be with us today. Others are believers. Some of you have been believers a very short time, kind of like, like Preston. Others uh, of you have been believers for many, many years. But if, if I were to ask everybody in the room today, if I got you alone and we kind of had a conversation, and if I were to ask you, have you ever heard God speak to you? Surveys of Christians all around the world tell us that most would say, no, I've never actually heard God speak. Now, I'm not talking audibly. Okay, I'm not talking about an audible voice. Some of my brothers and sisters in Christ have uh, experienced the audible voice of God in their lives. I never have. Uh, but I have experienced the voice of God so intense, so red hot, so burning in the depth of my being that I knew undeniably it was the Lord God Almighty speaking to me. God speaks to me. Now, why is it that most people, most Christians, say they've never had that experience? Well, I want to suggest that one of the possible reasons is, is because you've never been open to it. If that's you, if that describes you, you may have never experienced the loving, authoritative voice of God flowing through your life because your mind is cut off. You may have just decided, I don't believe that actually happens. I think, you know, when Joe describes that, he's just had a bad burrito or something, you know? That's, that's that burning sensation he's talking about. You know, that's all it is. And what you have is a closed mind. And, and God will not, not just force himself on you You've got to believe that. And this is the first type of soil that Jesus talks about in Luke 8, 5. He says, a sower went out to sow seed. And he sowed seed, some fell on paths. And some of it fell on this footpath and it got trampled. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. And then in verse 12, Jesus explains what he meant in verse 5. He says, now, the seed, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. You know, in every garden, there's usually a footpath that the planter walks down. And where they walk, that footpath has two basic characteristics. First of all, it's hardened from compaction. It's just a hard place in the soil. It's hardened from compaction. The other truth normally is, it's narrow. It's usually very narrow. People who are planting a garden usually try to keep their footpaths as narrow as possible so they have as much space to plant as possible. That's kind of the, 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 the guiding light. And so these footpaths are narrow and hard. You ever met anybody like that? Somebody who was hard-hearted and narrow-minded and cut off from God? The possibility of God's existence? The possibility that God could speak their hearts are just hardened and compacted. And it is hard for the seed of the gospel, the word of God, to plant deep enough to penetrate. And so it just kind of lays on the ground. And Jesus said when that happens, these snatchers just come. They just kind of come and snatch it away. It never stood a chance. And the truth is, for many of us in this room, that is a regular experience. You know, God wants to speak to us, but he doesn't get a chance because we're closed off. We're cut off in some ways. Our hearts may be hardened. We may be unwilling to listen. 
You know, maybe we've already decided what we're going to do so we don't need a word from God in this matter because it would mess everything up. I found a few things in my life that do this. Um, I'm going to share them with you. They're not going to come up on the screen. If you want to write them down, you can. But one of the first things that I've discovered that kind of cuts me off from God like that real quickly is pride. It's just simple pride. Pride closes my mind off to God. When I think I don't need God, I can make this you know, financial decision on my own. I don't need God. You know? I, I got it figured out. I've been parenting long enough. I know what to say to my kids or my grandchildren. I don't need God. You know, I know how to, how to handle this. If you're in a dating relationship, some people think, I know how to handle this date. I don't, I don't need God involved. See, the truth is, anytime we fail to pray about something, you're basically saying, I don't need God in this. I got it. I, I got this. I can handle this mess. You know, I, I can correct this error. I can resolve this conflict on my own. That is called Pride. And when my life is filled with pride, my mind is closed off to God. And I won't hear a thing he's trying to say when I have it all figured out. That's pride. Second thing that in my own life I have discovered cuts me off is fear. Fear causes me to have a closed mind. Sometimes, sometimes it's just being afraid of what God might say. You know, sometimes people pray but they don't really want to hear from God because God might tell you to do something that's too hard or something that's unpopular he might tell you to do something that you don't think you can do so you get afraid you know some of you have been afraid to 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 listen to God speak to you because you're fearful that you know you're going to become a religious fanatic and you're going to have to get a preacher haircut and you're going to have to start walking around using certain words and you know all that kind of whatever a preacher haircut is um, you're just you 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 you, you think are y'all okay? <laughs> y'all are having too much fun over there. You're, here, the deal is you begin to be fearful that you will lose freedom. That you will lose your own personal autonomy and get to do, so you say, no thanks God. And you just kind of close your mind off. Close your heart off to God. Because of fear. I've also found that bitterness closes me off to the voice of God. Bitterness has that capacity when you know, when we've been hurt, hurtful memories clog our hearts and minds and it keeps us from hearing the voice of God. We get stuck on things like, God, why did you allow this to, and that's the only voice we hear. Why did you allow this to happen, God? If you're so great and so loving, God, why? If you're not careful, that will wreck your life if you live there. Please, if you don't get anything else, get this today. You do not yet live in heaven. This is earth. Earth is broken. It's just broken. Now God's fixing it and he's going to restore it ultimately one day. But while you're here, you're going to experience pain. And you don't have to be cut off from God in the midst of your pain unless you allow those questions to clog you're hearing from the voice of God. See, God has given us free choice. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that don't believe that, and that's okay, but I'm one who believes that God has given people freedom to choose. And people choose to do wrong in that freedom. And innocent people suffer. And sometimes we suffer from our own dumb decisions because God has given us freedom to choose so people get hurt. But you don't have to let your hurt life control you. You don't have to become a bitter person. A bitter life is an absolutely wasted life. Because when we become bitter and all we hold on to is our hurt, our pain gets prolonged. Now, I could spend some time here camping out and helping you kind of process through that, but here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Last week, Pastor Terry did a remarkable job talking about forgiveness and bringing peace and healing into our lives. God wanting to restore that. And so, if you find yourself there today, I want to say, go listen to that message. It's already up. It, it, it will help you process through this hurt. Now, last thing that I want to say on this is this. Don't ever allow another human being to hold you away from the loving, authoritative voice of God. That's, that's what's going on. Give that hurt to God. Some of you say, yeah, but they were a Christian who hurt me. Well, duh, they're broken too. 
We're broken too. We're still trying to figure it out too. Don't let a Christian keep you from experiencing the loving, authoritative voice of God. That will cut you off from God's plans for your life and the fullness of life in him. Jesus' half-brother was aware of how a bitter life is a wasted life. And so Jesus told us in the parable, he said, what will happen is if you live there, man, what's going to happen is these birds, these snatchers are just going to come along. And every time you get close to the kingdom of God, every time the gospel starts to have a place to grow in your life, it's snatched because of your closed-mindedness, because you're cut off. James says, here's a better way to live. Jesus' half-brother, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, wrote this in James 1.21, submit to God and accept the word. Receive that word that he plants in your heart. Let God's word get planted in your heart because it is able to save you. Not just for all eternity, but now. It's able to save you from whatever you're facing today. Let God love you. Drop your defenses. Break through that closed mind. Cultivate your mind. Second restorative step, if you want God's voice in your life to just begin to resonate, is I've got to allocate my time. I've got to, I've got to cultivate my mind, and then I've got to allocate my time to let God speak to me, which means I've got to slow down. I've got to put it in my schedule. And the truth is, we schedule everything. Dentist appointments, you know, we schedule dates and homework. My wife Kathy's scheduled to have her car, you know, tuned up this past week. Last week, many of us scheduled to give blood, you know. We, we schedule everything. If you don't schedule time for God, the only thing that God is going to get are leftovers. That's all God will ever get. See, the second reason a lot of people never hear God speak is we're just, we're just in too big a hurry. And you've heard this before. It's a rat race out there, and the, the, the end game is if you enter the rat race, guess what? You're a rat. It's just a truth for all of us. There is now a diagnosable illness called hurry sickness. And when we get hurry sickness, everyone in our lives gets shortchanged, especially those closest to us. They're the ones who experience the greatest effect. People like God. God gets shortchanged. He gets cut out of the equation. And so we say, God, we want you to speak to us. But God, you better talk fast. You know, we think somehow God is going to start talking really. God, I've only got a moment, so could you, as I whiz by out the door, could you give me a truth for the day? As a result... We miss what God wants to say to us. In Luke 8, 6, Jesus described that life this way. It said, some of the seed of the gospel fell on the rock. And as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some translations say it lacked moisture. And then Jesus, over in verse 13, explains the meaning of verse 6. He says, those are the ones that on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Now, just as the hardened path represents a closed mind, the shallow soil really represents a superficial heart. It's just a life that's pretty shallow. When, when Jesus is talking about rocky soil here, he's not just talking about a, a, a soil that has lots of little rocks in it. He's talking about the kind of soil that's over um, in, the, in the Holy Land. And basically, there's a lot of uh, thin soil sitting on top of a limestone rock bed. Just a lot, a lot of places where there's a lot of thin, thin soil because there's something going on beneath the surface of the soil. And so when the heat of the day comes, plants that get planted there die because they have no place for their roots to go to capture moisture. And what he's saying is this represents a superficial kind of hearer who sprouts up, they get all excited, you know, about, about it, but it doesn't last. When the heat of life comes on, when the pressure, when, when the, the difficulties come, they wither and they fall away. And all of us are like this at some times. Sometimes we hear from God and we get so excited about it, but we're kind of living superficially. We're moved, and so we react, but we're just impulsive. We don't give it time to sink into our bodies, to sink into our minds and our souls. This passage said that the plant lacked 
moisture. Because that's one of the most vital resources for a new growing plant to have is lots of moisture. Do you know what the most vital kind of resource that most of us need more of in our lives today? We'll tell you it's time. It's, time is one of our most valued resources. You know, I think about the numbers of people who I have heard in the 30 or almost 30 years that I've been a part of this church, I've heard people talk about, man, I just sat in a great class. Man, that was just so moving, that message that day. Man, that song just, just really rocked my world. And they get so excited, but a month later, there's no perceivable change. They're still kind of living the same way. They say, I was really touched, but... They didn't retain anything. Now just like a plant has to retain water, you and I have to learn to retain what God's doing. We have to develop a root system that can retain the activity of God in our lives. We have to develop a root system that allows the word of God to be absorbed in us. And that won't happen just by sitting and soaking on a Sunday. There's got to be more than that. One of the best ways that I know of to retain what God is speaking over me is I write things down. I record them, I keep them, writing down what God says to me so that I have a way of going back and reviewing it and interacting with the Father. After this, a moment like this, after a moment of excitement, you know, most Christians would tell you that I base my life on the Ten Commandments. Even some non-believers will tell you that. You know, people get really excited about the Ten Commandments. They want to fight over whether or not they can be taken down from a, you know, a courtroom. We get all hyped up about the Ten Commandments. Do you know that the percentage of Christians who could tell you the Ten Commandments is ridiculously low? Would you say, I base my life on the Ten Commandments. I, I believe those. Could you tell somebody, all ten of them right now? Now, I know some of you are going to lean over while I'm talking and start reciting them. That's cool. You can multitask, babe. Go for it. Um, but percentages are really low of the numbers of Christ followers, regular church attenders, who can recite, maybe not in order, but just get all ten of them spoken. Because we haven't retained them deeply in our souls. And when we don't retain them, we have the capacity to violate them. God wants us to retain. It just He wants us to soak it up. And so God's, we need a root system. In verse 13, Jesus said that there are, are, are things that cause things to kind of go in one ear and out the other. He said, when they heard the word, they receive it with joy. But because they have no root, they don't retain it. We need a capacity to retain. So that we don't end up like a lot of people that I've seen and many of you have seen kind of come into this church, get really excited, and then a year or two later you wonder, whatever happened to old so-and-so? Where are they? Well, I can tell you where they are. They're at a place in their life where they, did not, they didn't build capacity to retain the word of God in their life. They didn't build that. And so they never developed roots and so they just kind of withered. See, building a root system to retain what God wants to say to us takes T-I-M-E. It takes time in his presence. It takes time with God. It takes time trying to figure out how am I going to apply it. It takes time in relationship with other believers who I can say, man, I'm struggling with this today. Would you pray for me and help me think about how to come out of this? It, it takes time. Why, why would God want, you know, to teach me a new thing if I have willfully chosen not to do something to try to practice the last thing he told me? Why would I try to do that? You know, a great coach will not coach you beyond the basics until you have the basics. They're not going to teach you advanced levels of swimming strokes if you're a swim instructor until you've learned to master the basics because if you get the basics wrong, you'll screw everything else up. You'll be off all the days. So how do, how do we get roots? The only way that I know to get roots is to allocate time. Put, set aside time with God. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Start and let it grow. And then you will begin to reconnect 
you'll have restored in your life that loving, authoritative voice of God. You got to slow down. You got to cultivate your mind. You got to allocate some time. Third thing that you and I must do is we've got to eliminate. We got to eliminate competing voices. We've got to eliminate the competition for our attention. A lot of times we miss hearing the voice of God because our mind is crowded with every other thought. Filled with concerns and worries and plans and goals and ambitions and bills. And when our mind is filled with thinking of those things all the time and we never set aside time to give God a special chance to talk to us, a special place of silence, his voice doesn't get through. Jesus said it this way in verse 7. He said, and some seed fell among the thorns. Some translations say weeds. And the thorns grew up with it and it choked out that plant. Jesus describes this in verse 14 and he says this. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by, and he gives you three things, the cares and riches and pleasures of life. See, the soil with the weeds in it, the seed gets, lands in there, and because that seed is so preoccupied, I mean, because that soil is so preoccupied with everything else, the weeds win. The seed sprouts, it starts to grow, but then it gets choked out by the weeds. Have you ever looked maybe at our world and the condition of it and then looked at the church and just wondered, why, why does it seem like so many Christians, so many churches are living unproductive kingdom lives? Why, why, why is that? Weeds. It, it's, it's the weeds. See, we and I need to be aware of the barrenness of busyness. If we just get caught up in busyness, some people confuse activity with productivity. There are lots of churches and Christians that are very, very active but not very productive in the kingdom of God. They, they, they're on the go all the time, but all they're doing is going around in circles. There's no focus, there's no reason or rhyme for their lives. And one of the ways you can know if that's true of you is, is by asking a simple question and answering it. Have I really found God's purpose for my life? Because if you haven't really discovered God's purpose for your life, I would suggest you haven't done a great job of eliminating distractions. Those three distractions that Jesus gave us, the first one was worry. Worries can distract you from hearing God speak. Why? Because you can't pray and worry at the same time. You can't, you can't do both of those. Worries are the problems and pressures of daily life. The, the word that Jesus has used here literally in the original language means to be pulled apart. Anybody feel like you're being currently pulled apart by pressures in this world, by difficulties? That's, that's what Jesus is saying it, it, it's going to be like. If you allow that to be the, the, the loudest voice in your, in your life, you'll miss out on God. That's the Bible's definition of worry, of being pulled in different directions. So when you're worrying, you're preoccupied. The second example that Jesus gives are riches. Jesus says, we can be so busy making money that we don't have time for God. We can be so busy making a living that we never live, is what Jesus says. That it is possible to do that. We start working hard, you know, to pay the bills first. And then we begin to work hard to get just a little past being able to pay our bills and have a little extra. And then just we made it start working to keep even with that. And then we start working to keep up with the Joneses. You know, we just, just, just cycle. And so God gets crowded out as we pursue those things. And Jesus says in our desire to make a living, we stop living out of the voice of God. Third weed that Jesus says chokes out life in us, the voice of God, are pleasures. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. God actually designed our bodies with receptors so that we could experience and enjoy pleasure. God himself did that. God thought up fun. God gave you those senses. God wants you to enjoy. But Jesus is saying, you and I can get so busy chasing fun that we forget the giver of fun. And if you're not careful, and we see this happen a lot, people begin to be so excited about recreation that they forget about worship. They get so caught up in their own recreational schemes that they forget about worship. Parents of children, please hear me right now. 
If you have kids at your house, I want you to be very careful in managing this one. I'm not saying never go on vacation or don't do record. I'm not saying that. But here's something I've noticed over the years. We start teaching our children something about this very early in life. When recreation becomes more important than worship. It creates a problem in our life. And then this weed begins to grow. And parents, when we do that, we help the weeds grow in the lives of our kids. And then one day, when they're older, and all they're doing is pursuing recreation and not the things of God, we wonder what happened. Parents, just be careful here. See, anything could end up replacing God in this. It could be a relationship, responsibility. A weed is anything that distracts you from making time of being with God. Let me ask you a really deep theological question. Okay, you ready? How hard is it to get weeds to grow? Anybody in the house got dollar weeds? I don't have to go water them suckers. I don't have to put fertilizer out for them. I don't have to pay them any special attention. And those things just explode. That's what weeds do. See, that's the difference between a weed and a flowering plant, something of beauty that you want, maybe, maybe even just grass. There's a difference there because a weed needs no attention. In fact, a weed's growth is evident of neglect. But if I want to see this beautiful plant happen, I've got to nurture it. I've got to assure that it has proper care, that it has to, to, to be touched. Jesus says the same is true in your life. If weeds are growing up, it will choke out your spiritual vitality. It will choke out life in Christ. You will begin to lose your joy. You'll lose your peace. You'll lose your sense of purpose. You'll lose your identity. You'll be vulnerable to attacks from the enemy about who you are, why you're here. You'll be more open to experiencing stress. The weeds will choke the life out of you, is what Jesus is saying. And they only prosper when I neglect self-care, when I neglect the care of my souls. I've got to create space. I've got to give God time. I've got to cultivate my mind. And I've got to seek to eliminate those things that compete with the voice of God. Lastly, in order to restore God's voice in my life, I've got to play a role in this. I've got to learn to appropriate every word that the Lord gives me. I've got, to, I've got to learn to appropriate it, take it into my life. See, God speaks to people who have already decided in advance that they're going to do whatever God tells them to do. That's who God's going to speak to. Most of us want to talk to God, have a nice little devotional conversation, feel warm and fuzzy, and then go do what we wanted to do in the first place. We, we don't want a kind of God, a conversation with God, you know, that says, God, I'm coming to this conversation. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. And God just says, you know what? I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to give you a new word. See, God talks to people in full voice. That authoritative, loving voice of God comes to those who are saying, I'm going to do it. Some of you will remember, there have been times when we have sung a song around here that goes like this. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes. You remember that song? It just goes on and on and on and on and we sing that song. And at the end of the song, from time to time, somebody who's leading that song says, well, go do it. Just, that's what, God wants you and I to get up in the morning singing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and then sit down in front of his word. And have him show you what you just said yes to. And he just says, okay, you said yes. Go, go do this. See, uh, God's looking for that life that says, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me. Whether I understand it, whether it makes sense. Whether or not I want to do it. I'm going to do it because I trust your voice, God. I trust your heart. Jesus tells us this fourth soil is basically a willing heart. A heart that is willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus' call. He, he says it here. He says, as for the seed in, in the good soil, there are those hearing the word 
And then notice what happens when they hear the word. They hold it fast. They hold it, they, they, they have found a way to hold on to it. And not only do they hold it fast, it holds them fast. And it goes on to say, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And it bears fruit. It gives life. Something happens because they hold it fast. They write it down. They mull over it. They engage conversationally with brothers and sisters that they're close to about the word of God in their lives. And then they do what James says to do. He says in verse 22 of James chapter 1, don't just listen to God's word. You got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You're kidding yourself if you think you can show up on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and not retain, not take in, not grow any roots and see your life changed. So here's the last question I want to leave you with today. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do with this message? The Bible says, be a doer of the word and not only a hearer. It says, do something. Something, do something. Because here's the truth. The moment that you walk out of those doors or those doors or those doors. According to Jesus, the moment you walk out of those doors, just on the other side of those doors, lie snatchers. There's something on the other side of that door waiting to snatch whatever God has said to you today. Whatever God has said to you today, something on the other side of that door is just waiting to snatch that seed of the gospel that has just gotten, just gotten started in you. The devil's going to send some kind of distraction. Some of you, it's already started. You looked at your watch a little while ago and thinking, are we going to beat the Methodists to lunch? You know, you've already started thinking that. You've already thought, well, I'm going here. Now, what am I going to order? Am I going to get what I always got? You've already distracted. The snatchers come. For some of you, it's just on the other side of that, ro- that, that, that door. Some of you, the, 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 the snatcher is going to be, you turn out on the Dorchester Road, and you drive a little bit, and somebody cuts you off. Snatch. You're not going to be able to focus on the Word of God. It's, it's going to be gone. They're gonna, distractions are going to come in the droves. And so you've got to retain it. So here's what I encourage you to do before you leave here today. Whatever God spoke into your heart, maybe through the singing, maybe through the time we prayed, maybe during the baptism, I don't know what. Whatever God said to you, please write it down. Please hold on to it. Please tell somebody so that Satan can't come and snatch it away. If you want to make this count, if you, if you don't want this past hour to have been a waste of your life, do one thing. Maybe it's join a Bible study, get in a small group, start a soap group, start soaping through scripture. I don't know what it is. Do one thing to make it count. Do something. Don't waste it. Let's pray. Lord, you have told us what to do. Lord, we looked as we began our time together at how humanity got cut off from your loving, authoritative voice. And God, there are times when we still feel so cut off from your authority in our lives and we feel it because our identity is shriveled. And we battle for hope. And we long for joy. And what's happened, God, is we have been cut off by the cares of this world. We've allowed our minds, God, to become narrowed. We've allowed our souls to become distracted. We haven't set up a rhythm of time with you. And so we come now, God, asking you to help us have minds that are open to you. Show each of us in our own ways, God, what we must do to cultivate our thinking about you. God, help us not be shallow-minded. Help us have minds that are active towards you, that are willing to study and review and, and memorize and meditate on your word to us, oh God. Setting aside time to do that. God, when you speak to us, help us care enough to at least write it down so we can 
return to it later so we can retain it so that your word would be the moisture in our lives that gives us life. Help us, God, we pray. And help us, God, now to be the kinds of people whose hearts are just set to do your will. Help us, help us be those people, dear God, who, who are just ready, God, who are just longing right now, God, in, in these moments to give you our full attention, to give you our lives wholly, to adjust so that we can experience the restoration of your loving, authoritative voice washing over us moment by moment as we live in this broken place until you come and restore it all. So God, we come in these moments wanting to hear you above everything else. So speak to us, God. Show us that one thing to leave this place doing today. Maybe you're here and for the very first time you came to realize that your whole life has been cut off from God because you've never trusted Jesus. And right now where you're at, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. Don't let your mind be hard-hearted. Don't, don't, don't let that happen. That if the Lord is moving in your life, let his voice be the loudest thing now and trust that voice. And simply declare, I'm choosing Jesus. I choose to no longer do life as my own leader. I need a savior. Jesus, come in. Save me from my sin, from my condition that separates me from you. Jesus, I want your voice to have first place in my life from this day forward. And if you mean that prayer, Jesus says he will come. He will come and have communion with you, to be with you all the days of your life. Let his voice be the loudest thing in your mind. Lord, speak to us now. As we worship you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.